Are you conscious of your addiction? Refuse to be defined by it? Not satisfied with living your life on the surface? Are you drawn to deeper meaning and purpose? And believe that it's possible to grow through your addiction to experience true freedom? Well, welcome home. Share the journey from addiction to freedom with your host, Michael Gregory. All right, welcome everybody. This is uh, Addiction to Freedom. And today I have a very special guest who I've known for a very long time. And I was just reading over her bio and quite blown away actually. So this is Kath Bailey and she's been an artist her whole life. She's not been a part-time artist. She's been a full-time artist the whole time. And she's you know, worked in all sorts of places, but also won these awards like the Emerging Artists in the Rock Sydney Award, the Waverley Art Prize. Uh, she was a resident in the with the Oslo Storia Studio at Set the Arts International Paris. And her work is held in uh, private collections all around Australia. And she's also like what I was more familiar with, her work with Indigenous communities and using art to really bring awareness to issues in the community uh, where people perhaps um, suffering and things like that. And that's what I really admire. But Kath um, and I were talking the other day on the phone and, and I was really wanting her to come on to talk with me, have this conversation. And she suggested we start off talking about, about mistakes. And um, I thought that was a good idea. So we don't know where the heck this is going to go. And um, I'm really excited to see. So welcome, Kath. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> I've been Mick for a long time with Kath, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, what were you thinking when you suggested talking about mistakes? We having we were having a conversation about mistakes at the time, were we? Yeah, well, kind of. having a a little bit, yeah, maneuvered in that direction, and um, I think. Oh, yeah, I was talking about how if you make a mistake as an artist, depending on what kind of art you do, you can generally turn it to your advantage, I think it is. You know, like you can um, really make a mistake rather than berate yourself about it. You can say, you know, where is this mistake leading me? How can I, how can I use this mistake to make this artwork work? You know, like you really looking at how you can turn something to your advantage, depending on what kind of artwork you do. Right. You know, the kind of artwork I do, it's, um, yeah, it can really lead you down a different pathway from where, where you started. So you're in a continual process of, um, of having, you're seeing something in, maybe you've started a canvas like a painting and uh-huh. you're seeing something in that canvas and you're going, that's not working. But you don't actually call it a mistake. You just right. go, Oh, that's not working for me. Right. How can I? Uh, what can I do to? I suppose bring harmony, or what can I do to? You're in a process of, I guess it's problem solving around what you've seen that's created disharmony in your artwork, and saying, oh, how does that work for me? But the interesting thing is, like, it's all about you're guided by your own interior voice or something that's even bigger than you. When you put it out there publicly, you really have to let go of other people's opinions because when they look, when publicly, when people look at my artwork, I imagine they're saying, well, there's a mistake there, there's a mistake there, there's a mistake there. But it's all about, it's all about your own understanding of what's working for you. So in the end, mistakes are sometimes just guided by opinion, really, I think. I'm kind of curious, you know, because you were saying there that, a mistake, you, you, a mistake happens and then you see how you can use it to your advantage. That doesn't, so I'm, immediately I thought, well, what is a mistake? Because when we grow up as children, you know, we're taught to colour within the lines or we're taught to, to not do certain behaviours and, and those are mistakes and they're very bad. <laughs> and there's no, it, it's just a black and white situation, like good and bad. You're being good or you're making a mistake. And, and then you have to learn from that kind of thing. 
but that's a very different model. And I think we kind of, I don't know, I think most people, I, I, I certainly talk about myself, I'm programmed that way and have had to do a lot of work to overcome that view to get to where you're talking about where you see a so-called mistake as part of the flow. Hmm. So, so what is a mistake then in this view? Actually, could you, would you be able to, when you talk about flow, can you bring that back to surfing? Can you give me a metaphor, a metaphorical example about mistakes in surfing? Well, I guess, you know, have the goal of riding the wave and along the way, there's all sorts of skills that you need to develop in order to actually do that. And so falling off could be viewed as a mistake. The interesting thing about surfing, I'll just segue for a minute. The interesting thing about surfing is that you you can't do it slow-mo. You can't do it slow motion. You can't practice it on land. You can only do it in the moment. So you've only, and, and then when when something happens that doesn't work and you fall off, or let's say you don't fall off and but you don't end up getting to surf the whole wave because you didn't quite do something, you kind of replay that back in your mind later on off when you're off the wave and somehow, somehow you learn from it. And it's, it's partially a conceptual thing, but often it's an immediate non-conceptual thing. That's what I've been observing, how literally, like it's almost like thinking in pictures because you, you, there's the movie of what happened and then the next time you, you go for a wave, somehow that's in you, that movie and, and, and an alternative approach happens. So you could say it's intuitive, but I think there's kind of an intelligence that it's not so much using language or, or word concepts. Oh, that's my little alarm. <laughs> that's my alarm. To I have an alarm going off every now and again, those birds to remind me to be conscious, <laughs> to be present, uh-huh. literally. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so that reminds so, me. Can I just take from that that there's some inference that you, in order to surf, you need to make mistakes in order to learn? Absolutely. There's no way so, that you can learn to surf without so-called making a mistake. So, you know, and whether you want to call it a mistake or just part of the flow, I think depends on how tightly you hold on to this goal of riding the wave as the goal. You know, if you, if you don't have that and you just are out there to have fun and you're falling off going, woohoo, <laughs> that's the goal, well, then there's no mistake. All right. So in a way, they're both, both, I suppose if you look at painting and if you look at surfing, they're both, it seems to me, some process. So they're process-based. So if you're in the moment and you're in the process, there really isn't a mistake because you're just enjoying the moment in the process of doing something, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah. But you remove it from that process into an opinion-based world where you're being challenged to be the best surfer on the biggest wave in Hawaii <laughs> then, or you're in a, you know, an art competition or something, then you bring in everyone's opinion. Then there's the concept of mistakes is what we're saying. Yeah, it's right. where other people, is that kind of it really? So yeah. mistakes exist in this kind of like territory of opinion? Totally. And so, and, and if we take it, so opinion is really just other people's thoughts. Mm. But if we just take it back to our thoughts, where we call it a mistake, and and what I'm hearing us kind of saying is that a mistake only exists in the context of something that happens contrary to a goal, which is a concept. Okay. Yeah, because you can move that into the work environment. And in the work environment, I have made plenty of mistakes. (laughs) And... I would say, and that's because I think there's a kind of, there's a formulaic way of doing things. And if you are unable to meet the kind of requirements of that formulaic way of doing things, it's considered a mistake, I suppose. But I will say with that, it's taken me a long time to, um, to come back to a long time. Yeah, actually, 
I think the first, there's a few steps when you actually do make a mistake in that kind of field because you're in a different field. One, you're in the creative field with surfing and art. So that's a very, it's a very different field. But if you take yourself into the field of the workplace, when you make a mistake, there may like if you're a doctor or, you know, you're doing things, there may be consequences to your mistakes, if you know what I mean. So there, there are actually repercussions. So there's a very, it's a very different environment. So I'm thinking that from my experience with my, my work mistakes, I've learned a few things. And I probably did learn them from art in that it's about, I think, the art, the art of self-empathy. So you actually, you know, when you do make a mistake or someone says, hey, that's a really crappy job you did over there on that. <laughs> there are a few things, a few things that I've learned. One is if I've given a hundred percent to something. I've really tried my hardest, then, yeah. you know, I made a mistake. Well, that's human. And the second thing is to just, you know, come back to that part of me that I think we were talking about before, the part of me that is deeper than my ego and just say, go into that place of self-empathy. So you're going like, oh, of course I made a mistake. Like I really was stressed at the time. I felt like I was under a lot of pressure. I I really couldn't concentrate because the kids were, um, you know, arguing in the background. So you've got this kind of like self-empathy going on. It's like, oh, yeah, of course I made a mistake. You know, my need for support, my need for, you know, giving myself time, all of that, none of those things were met. So that's natural, right? I made a mistake. I'm human. And it is a kind of like a process of just being gentle with yourself mm-hmm. because all the time, if you kind of, all the time we've got this critical voice inside of us and it's really easy to fall into that space of, oh, you're an idiot. Oh, for, why did you, what'd you do that for? I mean, a five-year-old made that mistake. But, you know, I think, I, think we had, I heard someone talk about this the other day about empathy and mistakes, and they said um, if your child made a mistake, you wouldn't say, oh, right, well, tomorrow I'm putting you up for adoption. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I laughed. I thought that was really good. It was a really good kind of YouTube video, and, and it really made a lot of sense. And I think we put ourselves up for adoption a lot of the time when we make mistakes <laughs> because we feel like such a failure. And it can result in severe physical illness. Like quite a few years ago, I had a massive failure. Like it wasn't just a it wasn't just a little failure, it was a state-based artistic failure. Oh, really? And um yeah, it was huge. It was really, really big. And <laughs> is, that, is that something that's still kind of raw or no, no, the recipe, I think there's a recipe to these things and everyone involved in it in this particular project. None of us had the requisite experience across the board, not one person, not even oh. the supervisor had the requisite experience to be able to work with this kind of project. Right. And there were plenty of mistakes made, but in the process of kind of really being really depressed and really sad about that work situation, I had to learn, well, first of all, I had to learn what was it that was in me that allowed that to happen. So it was an acknowledgement of my limitations, which is, I'm okay with that. You know, like I, I know my strengths, I know my limitations. And it was a kind of like, um, I, and I, through the process, I learned that some of the things happened because I couldn't stand up for myself. So then I had to learn, you know, new skills. So I learned a whole lot of skills around nonviolent communication. And then the next kind of step to that during nonviolent communication to be part of that is self-empathy. And so really what with that big failure and mistake, it just became a valuable tool to see where I could build my skills and limitations, you know what I mean? Just skill building. But it took a very long, a lot of self-empathy. It was really, really hard because I hated myself for allowing that to happen. And and I could have easily become very, very depressed. <laughs> so it's a lot of hard work. So sometimes mistakes can lead to a lot of self-awareness, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. You know, but what I what I can hear in that is that the, the let's call it the mistake thing happened and your response was to widen the context like you know how you said look, coming back to what you said even before that you you talked about giving yourself self self empathy hmm. and when you described doing that you described 
So let's, there was this situation in the workplace which had certain boundaries and that's what, de- that's what defined the mistake because the action con- was contrary to those boundaries. But then giving yourself self-empathy, what you did is you brought in something from outside of those boundaries, then another thing from outside of those boundaries, you know, like the kids. And you mentioned all these things where you basically widened the context to make it totally understandable as to how that could have occurred. And then when you talked about, does that make sense, first of all? Yeah, I think it's a reframing. You have to you have to bring in your humanity. It's a process yeah. of we've been through a process of dehumanizing the workplace. And so yeah. in a process of rehumanizing it, it's about empathy, self-awareness, yeah. and you know, giving a context for your humanity within yeah. the well, within the workplace. Because so many spaces have moved into, I think, perfectionism. But yeah. I mean for, for, perfectionism in terms of performance and I think that's a real problem actually yeah <laughs> I, I think really want to go, there, go but I'd like yeah. to I'd like to just kind of um, dwell on what you've said already just from a little right. bit later, because when you then when you then talked about the big mistake thing and what you did about that is you not only not not only did you widen the context but you widened your own context your own you grew by going and doing the nonviolent communication course and and what and you said and also that moved into self-empathy you said so your context internally widened as well so that issue became a fertile ground for you to to seek solutions to being in that which actually caused you to grow or you, in fact, that was because you went down that road rather than getting stuck and blaming and resentful and depressed and sick, you actually grew out of that to be uh, more capable and uh, more available and more able to be in a situation like that. Would that be right? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. That kind of sounds right. And I think even though I had practised energetic, self-empathy energetic practices, I didn't really have the languaging and I think the languaging of self-empathy is really important because you can go around it to give yourself the feeling of self-empathy or or warmth and compassion but to reconceptualize the wording of what's actually going on in on in your head whenever you do make a mistake is really it's really helpful because it's kind of like there's an acceptance there like um Unlike the creative process, you know, it's there in the workplace, it becomes a kind of, or in even in life, there becomes a, an acceptance that it is human to make mistakes and fail. And it and there's a kind of a, a warmth and a, a knowing and a care that you can bring to that. So you can challenge yourself to grow from that space, exactly what you said. Yeah. yeah. And, and- I think how, I'd like to ask you then, how do you see that in the terms, in the context of, you know, addiction, freedom from addiction? Like mm. where does that come in? Fit in. Well, it's interesting that that's a really, because that fits in with exactly what I was just thinking because I was thinking, I was thinking first of all the word failure or mistake equaling failure. I mean, they're very kind of harsh black and white you know, it's like a binary system, good or bad, you know. It's almost, it just doesn't sound appropriate to use words that have such a strong negative context, connotation in relation to what we've just been talking about because what we've just been talking about is that if we go back to surfing or art where we started, what we were saying there is that variations in the flow that are unexpected instead of calling them a failure, they become um, a catalyst to modify, a catalyst to adapt and, and create. And so how can that be called a failure? So, exactly. you know, and, and so the, the idea of failure and mistake is very much dependent upon the concept or the construct in which it's being judged to conform or not. 
did that behavior mm. conform to this construct or did did my actions on that wave conform to my rigid goal of riding that wave in a certain way but if you take away the context or widen the context which is what you were explaining it actually in itself is more naturally empathetic and more accepting and also seeing the potential growth in it which is wonderful Hmm. yeah it is it can be real value i agree really valuable and also expectations, like where do expectations fit in, like self-expectations. So mm. to say you have an addiction, how does that work with the expect, that expected mind? And then you, mm. how do you, you know, what advice do you have for people in terms of the expectation aspect of kind of you make a mistake yeah. but you have expectations that you, well, not a mistake, but you, mm. you know, you fall back into your old old ways. So how does that fit in? Well, I guess it depends on how you view addiction. If you view addiction as a bad choice, that means you made a mistake. You know, and if you continue to do that behaviour, let's say, that means you continually are making bad choices and, and then you're to blame and you're being judged as being bad, 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 bad continually. So that's the consequence of of seeing addiction as a bad choice. I, I don't see it that way at all i think i mentioned in the last episode about the chinese medicine view of looking at someone's the way they're being the way they present whether it be consciously or unconsciously but chinese medicine very much has the 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 yin and yang polarity which is it's all yin and yang is always in balance you know we can say that it's out of balance and we want to get a, a better balance but but even when it, we say it's out of balance, that's just within the context that we're looking at it. Like everything is always balanced. It's just whether that balance is creating a, let's say, a, more of a harmony or less of a harmony. So, for example, if someone's response to trauma is that they become an alcoholic, you can view that as a, an attempt to remain balanced to in some way deal with the trauma rather than committing suicide, let's say. Yeah, it's a counterpoint. Okay. Yeah, yeah so, I see I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, so you're bringing in a kind of a, it's an unusual state of harmony, isn't it really? It's, 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 yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, so so there's, it's a balance, but maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's a balance that has detrimental consequences. So it's a bit like, when you're on the wave and you make a mistake and fall off, well, that's 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 only within balance, but but it's not the consequence of of that reaction was falling off, you know. And um, whereas you know the adaptation, using that as an adaptation to to modify and do it differently next time, could result in this amazing flow. And so, if we take if we look at someone who's having working you know with an addiction then it's i find it difficult just to label that because it's like a snapshot in time is that this is who they are you know but in in actual fact it's it's unfair to judge a person with that snapshot right there and then because they've got the whole history and they've got the whole potential in the future so so i don't i, I like what gabor mate says he says addiction is not is not the problem it's an attempted solution to a different problem that's not within the context of somebody judging that behavior you know and and it's it's much more i think it's a a more real approach in the sense that it takes more into account of what's happening with a person and it, it opens up more possibilities of working with that and if someone's trying to be helpful or assist someone who's having an addiction or if someone has an addiction themselves it's just a much kinder more accepting way of starting because when you start from the position of failure bad wrong useless dropout (laughs) it's very hard to stand up from that and then approach it but if you start from the point of view of what you just said with a more a wider more empathetic context then then it's like, oh, okay. So what I'm really trying to work out here is, is how to 
how to be okay with my life the way it is in, in, in all mm. the specific ways. So, yeah, yeah, you are saying, of course, it's like this because, of course, there are lots of reasons. Lots, it's like of, lots of stuff. And, and and the way to get there is to widen the awareness and to keep widening awareness and wider and wider and wider. And um, and I actually think that that in itself is a solution because the wider your awareness, let's say, of what you said before about that workplace mistakey thing <laughs> where you widened your awareness to how you could use nonviolent communication mm. and then you were that was a solution a partial was. Solution. i hear what you're saying yeah yeah the broadening i will say just on a side note that i did nonviolent communication for a year in a, in another workplace but i'd missed out the kind of part of it isn't just self-empathy it's actually empathy for the people who are around you and i totally missed the second, the, well, the second stage. So it was all about my, <laughs> yeah, my stuff. And I wasn't able to, it took me a long time to take a leap into, say, the oppress, I would say, like the more oppressive personalities who, who are guided by, you know, rather than uplifting and embracing the potential of people as you're talking, their, their capacity is really around the detail and they are looking, they're the kind of people who are looking for mistakes rather than looking to build your potential or look to say, well, you know, you've done this really well. They will say something like, oh, look, you know, look what you did over there rather than, so it's kind of like mm. building in an ability to be able to see where that person is coming because they're really just reflecting maybe a little one of the little many voices that exist within your own, like you're, you're not really just one ego, like you're, you're probably a hundred different voices in your head, you know, and, and it being sensitive or being able to hear the kind of the, the gradation of those voices, you know, the extreme critique and the extreme. So it's that it's learning to be empathetic to all of those parts of yourself. I would say, yeah, it's funny. I, I never see people as one, purely one person. You've got these really terrible, terrible people. And yet on some level at, at points in their life, they're capable of a small kindness here or there. You know what I mean? So yeah. you're looking at, yeah, it's the, it's the, uh, and I think that's looking at those parts of yourself, being able to be empathetic. I really haven't made that leap well yet. Well, <laughs> well I think we're all on, the, you know, on, on, on a, on a pathway and what seems to make sense to me from what you said was that you first needed to do the the, the journey about self-empathy in order to get a handle on that to get familiar with that and yeah because until you were familiar with it and were aware of it well how could you see it in others you know what I mean? So yeah, that you do. like the second step is when you said, I'm, I'm, I'm looking now at you having not just self empathy, but empathy for others. That makes sense that one leads to the next. Yeah. A lot of Australians, I think we all have a concept of empathy for the battler, if you know oh, what yeah. I mean. It's, really, it's an Australian, but yeah. it's really hard for us. And in particular me, it's very hard to be say empathetic towards someone like Donald Trump you know, like, or where someone who is particularly malignant. So it's really hard to kind of, um, it's a, I think it's a pretty amazing step so, for, um, to be able to develop that capacity. Yeah. 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 I guess that's where the challenge, the empathetic challenge comes in. It's easy to be empathetic to nice people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you know i mean so i'm just i was just wondering like in terms of are we saying that empathy is self-empathy and empathy in general for, for others has is is a is a sort of a an approach to dealing with so-called mistakes 
Is that what we're saying? Yeah, I would say self-empathy is a pathway to dealing with, with the, is part of the pathway. It's maybe one of the steps to working on, um, yeah, accepting your limitations, really. Accepting that you're human, you know, to embracing your humanity and to actually experiencing some joy. I think actually this is something I think you and I share. I'm not sure how much time we've got, but the, the Chinese medicine, okay, <laughs> the Chinese medicine is in that there's this concept of the original energy, yeah. you know, the original energy and how that manifests in unique humans. Yeah. And I think identifying your strengths and your limitations is part of bringing awareness to and a joy to your own unique individuality and how you manoeuvre through life. And that has really, uh, that understanding, that concept of original energy has been a real joy for me, especially in art, because if I am true to who I am, if I know who I am, if I am deeply authentic, then my artwork will reflect my pathway, my authenticity, how I respond to the world and not a trend, if you know what I mean. And there's going to be a lot of critique about the way I do things or the way I experience the world because I'm probably manoeuvring within a, a space of conceptual art world. And even if I was, I'd have to do it in a way that respects my unique original energy. You mean and you're, I think, you're unconventional? Is that what yeah, you're unconventional but original, you know. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. Everyone, has, everyone has that original energy which manifests in a particular set of characteristics within them. Mm. which they have at birth and then that's kind of messed around with, you know, through societal expectations and family and, you know, social mores. So, yeah, that knowing that's really helped in terms of concepts of reframing mistakes because how I do things is never going to be oh, the same. Okay. Yeah, so how you evolve is part of your unique path. Yeah, and how I, even in the workplace, how I kind of respond to things or or it's never going to be the same as someone else. Mm, so, yeah. you know, the principles that guide us should be just guiding principles, not exact kind of. Mm. Anyway, there you go. That's a little could, bit off. Can I ask a, um, a question? Do you think that empathy is generated conceptually or is do you think it's generated from another faculty, let's say, but can be expressed conceptually? Do you think it, empathy purely exists within a conceptual construct or do you think the conceptual construct of thoughts and, and that simply reflect or try to communicate a reality that generates from a, a non-conceptual facility that we have? I think we have a non-conceptual facility and I've experienced that through animals, you know, that they yeah. give and respond with complete empathy, you know, like I've yeah. had that from owls and <laughs> and dogs and, you yeah. know, wild, a lot of wild animals, like there's a, a deep empathetic response. And from myself for a very long time, I operated in a space without words. And so, but we can guide that, we can guide the parts of ourselves that need conceptual framework to use empathy. But yeah. in actual fact, it is part of the heart's longing for connection, uh, self-connection and a broad community acceptance. Let's talk about And that. the heart has, well, actually, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I might have to talk about that. Uh, that's, I think, you know what? No. I actually think I'd like to recommend that you speak to Karen about empathy because oh, yeah. Karen is someone that teaches NVC, nonviolent communication and empathy. Whereas my the my experience of um the heart, that's a much that's another conversation, you know. That's like another hour. <laughs> we don't have to, we'd have to spend an hour on it, but but I think I, I think it's really relevant because when we look at people, let's say with an addiction, and, I, and I'm including myself in that, in the sense that I'm addicted to myself. <laughs> And um, in order to approach that, it's, I think it's very difficult to approach it 
from a conceptual point of view in the sen- in, in the sense of applying conceptual rules or um, expectations because in a way I think those are something that they, they create the limitation and what we're saying is in order to understand our our behavior we need to expand our awareness outside of those limitations and and I think empathy because it doesn't I believe it doesn't generate from the conceptual facility is a way of kind of pointing us it's almost like it it's calling us outside of that that tight conceptual construct where in which the wrong is created you know what i mean like the failure is only a failure because it doesn't meet with doesn't fit within that conceptual construct of good behavior or bad behavior you know take away and then how do we deal with that? Well, we said we needed to widen the context. Empathy, because it doesn't, it's not generated from that conceptual construct, naturally is a widening, a way of widening the context. And if we're in touch with our own kind of empathy for ourselves, like you said, we naturally can connect with others on that. There is a natural connection there where we can feel others' pain. So that and so that naturally just busts open that tight, rigid conceptual framework in which the wrong has been defined, and it creates a relationship on a whole nother level. Even though it's not, it's kind of a bit fuzzy, but it's definitely there. And I think that's that that then creates the impetus to explore new ways, like you said with the way you handled that workplace situation or you know how we I think on an emotional level at least it helps us deal with with so-called mistakes in people with with people's behavior because I don't really see them as mistakes at all I just see them as a just a fluctuation in the flow (laughs) you know And, and with that with that underlying connection that comes with empathy if that's present there and at least we're aware of it maybe as much as the conceptual construction of that boundary, then the boundary, that conceptual construct doesn't rule. Like so, so yeah. much of our way of being is because we use language all the time because we communicate with words and, and, and we use it to solve problems, it's almost like that dominates our whole way of viewing things. It's like we put on these glasses in the morning and then off we go within that world. We can take those glasses off for a minute and just, just feel, which comes back to that what you said there, the Chinese medicine view of original energy. That exists outside of con- the conceptual view that we construct of the world, or not necessarily outside, but it's, um, I mean, concepts and words are really just a way of representing things. But so much of our awareness is is defined within it, and that's when mistakes get defined. If we can put that down for a minute and just feel, let's say empathetically, or even just feel with our sensations, and be, then it's it really. I think it really is a pathway to, to new ways that aren't so tight, rigidly con- constructed. Yeah. I agree because you're talking about moving from the conceptual realm yeah. to the felt universe. Yes. And once you're in that space, I think there's a lot of acknowledgement. There's the acknowledgement of the feelings of sadness that you, you know, may have had for having made a mistake or, you know, been hard on yourself. And then there's an acknowledgement um, sending yourself some there's a deep longing for kind of like the salve of love or self-empathy on top of that that you give yourself to saying oh yeah okay of course that happened and you're sending yourself you know you can put your left hand on your chest and just send yourself some you know of course yeah well here's what is it that you needed you needed love and support you know how can you give yourself these things how can Mm. you give yourself these things that haven't been coming from the outside to support mm. you. And it's the feelings of that thing. What does support feel like? 
you know, mm. what does it feel like to celebrate how original you are or what does it feel like to, you know, so you really moved into the feeling realm and I think that's, um, I think that's very valuable for self-care. It, mm. First of all, there's got to be acknowledgement of the pain that you're trying to push down on any way. You know what I mean? There has to be some acknowledgement. And I remember my Qigong teacher once said to me, which I loved, I just, I will never forget this. She just said, look, just allow yourself to feel the pain. It's not that bad. Once you feel that pain, it changes into something else. But it was the continual many years of pushing down a deep pain for me that stopped me from moving forward in my life because until I allowed myself just to feel in a supported environment, then I could, after that was felt, that shifted into a, many different layers. So it's, mm. I think it is when you do move into that felt space, but it also helps to have a conceptual framework or a process around that and even support in order to kind of transform any pain or trauma or hurt that you have associated with mistakes or, you know, you know what I mean? So yeah, what you're saying is true. Like often you can just, I think in the West we apply intellect to everything, but in the East there is more of a felt way of doing things. Like there's a natural acceptance that you'll be feeling your way through life on a daily basis from moment to moment. And that is what allows you to step into the process of flow. Mm. And, um, we don't have, we haven't really gravitated so much towards that in the West because we have this kind of narcissistic evaluation that intellect is king and really mm. that's best. Yeah, that, I agree. Plenty of different ways of, you know, having intelligence. I keep on getting these flashbacks. Have you seen the movie My, My Octopus Teacher? No. Uh, <laughs> Oh, you must, you must, must see it. It sounds so weird. It's a documentary, so even you might, some people may have avoid those. But honestly, this is probably the most mind blowing film I've seen in years. Literally, my octopus teacher. My octopus yeah. teacher. And this octopus, the intelligence and the, 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 the I have to say, the love that this octopus shows. It's just mind-blowing. And so this is, a, this is a, a state of being that's not, I would, has, I would risk saying that the octopus doesn't have language in terms of sound symbols, written pictorial symbols. And, and because, and language, language really quite rigidly defines concepts. Like when you, when you work with picture thinking, as you would with art therapy, there, it's a, there is a, a conceptual awareness there, but the, bound, the boundaries are not so tightly defined around each concept. Things merge into each other. And a lot of our dreaming thinking, you know, or daydreaming, envisioning, is this kind of intelligence manifesting in different ways and i think animals and it's pretty obvious with this octopus that it's very intelligent but it doesn't have the kind of language the pictorial and the sound symbol language that we have that really tightly defines our con- conceptual way of viewing things so if we can just put that down for a minute like music does this in a way and poetry po- poetry Phrase the boundaries of, 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 of concepts in order to create, bring to light meaning. And so does art, you know, visual art, what you do and, and music. And, um, and I think that what all of these things are pointing to and where they feed from is our inherent state, that, which really is the wellspring of everything. You know, and I think it is actually the place of peace. It's not even a place, but it is where peace is and and where our deep satisfaction can be found. So where we've kind of started in this conversation, where we're going, what I'm seeing is that 
is that mistakes are only a mistake within a defined conceptual boundary. We widen that context through understanding, whether it be intellectual understanding or whatever, and then widen it further in terms of the felt reality, and then widen it further in terms, in, in the sense of our, our awareness of our, of our non-conceptual wellspring of what we are, and that being naturally peace, that being naturally love, natural satisfaction that's beyond anything that can come from the phenomenal world. So it just kind of makes sense that, that when you look at it from that point of view, it really, it's like, it's like looking at something way down at the bottom of a valley, that that's the mistake way down there. <laughs> oh, okay. That's, that's a good way of seeing it actually, isn't it? Like the layered, you know, stepping outside of the different, into the different realities. Yeah. The kind of awarenesses to, yeah, to get some. So really are you talking about manoeuvring into a kind of like um, meditative state or a kind of more contemplative state where you, you've moved through the kind of conceptual realm, you've gone through the f- feelings and now you're kind of connecting with a kind of a deeper, more perhaps resonant vibratory state that, is in everything, you know, that space that exists within everything in, you know, that connects everything. And that is kind of becomes the, gives you that kind of profound understanding of the kind of, well, there probably isn't really such a thing as a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? So you've gone from there to there. there. So it depends what realm, it depends what realm of existence, you know, but, the thing is, the, the trouble with that is, and a lot of things, it's not the trouble is, that we are bound, most of us, for the most of our time, are bound by our humanity. And our humanity is kind of, is within the constraints of society and societal social mores. And as a consequence, you know, we are, our humanity is hurt like we do get hurt in a manner of ways continually and to sidestep that into an either intellectual or spiritual framework without first acknowledging the pain is a problem Mm. for me yeah because it's like it's not acknowledging your humanity and it really I think you know acceptance of the pain is at the core is at the core because once you accept that pain there's so much you can see as a consequence you know there's so and yeah so I I agree with you that there is a kind of like a salve um it's like putting ointment on a sore and applying healing when you get to the space of just kind of complete peace but you can hurt yourself a lot in order to get there if you haven't first acknowledged you know that the more you know your humanity I think Mm. what comes to mind when while I was listening to you and uh maybe I'm guilty of not listening <laughs> but we'll just find that out or not. I don't know. I just happened to see a quote yesterday because I was looking up quotes of, of the Buddha, as you kind of randomly do sometimes. And uh, one of them was, um, I think it went along the lines of something like this pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good point. You know? Yeah. Isn't that how he conceptualised suffering? suffering? Well, if you don't, it, yes, pains happen. Like, you know, a stone, I step on a stone, but like your Qigong teacher said, you, you've got the option to actually feel it. And you notice that it's, first thing you notice is that it's changing. And when you start to notice that, it ceases to be the same experience as when you first stepped on it. But... In other words, the pain is no longer something that you're suffering. It's something you're 
in kind of, I don't know, curiously experiencing. And, um, and then, and then you're no longer walking, you know, another person may step on the stone and then just start swearing and cursing and, and, and then telling everybody about it, how bad it was for the next few <laughs> days. You know, that's yeah. suffering. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's you. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's true. That's very interesting. Well, that seems like, you know, in a nutshell, you know, I understand from you is that you're, in terms of addiction, you're saying that expanding expansion rather than contraction in yeah. across various realms of thoughts and feelings yeah. can kind of broaden your understanding of your addiction and help you in inevitably kind of meet the needs that you have outside of the addiction. Yeah, that's right. So the, the addiction is I, I, what I'm learning from this conversation and you're, you're helping, you're showing me, is that a mistake or let's call it an addiction is only bad within a certain defined context um, context and that context actually isn't really valid so yes the experience occurs and yes it can be detrimental um, and yes it's something that we've lost control of but a way to approach it that's helpful is certainly not to stay within that tightly confined context and beat ourselves up about it you know, the way to approach it is to start to become curious about, you know, other things that are related to that and what we are, because we are always present with whatever addiction, behaviour, mistake, failure, whatever, we are always present with that. So being curious about that, like what we are, is also another area of exploration that can widen the context of awareness. Um, and, and But what I'm kind of learning from this conversation that is that widening the, widening the context of awareness is actually a pathway for understanding and therefore a part like pathway for evolution or, or innovation that changes the balance from a, a more difficult one to perhaps a, a more harmonious one. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds perfectly. That sounds, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Well, I'm hearing, yeah. I'm hearing what, I mean, just trying to summarise what I think we've both been saying. I think that, 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 do you reckon that? Yeah, that's a good summary. Yeah? Yeah. 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 I reckon I'm just, I, I have forced myself to look at the, the time and I feel that in, in, in the spirit of trying to keep things reasonably, you know, short without, without compromising on depth, I think maybe we should, bring it to an end yeah. <laughs> yeah I think so we didn't get on to perfection but maybe some other time I'm, I'd love to do I'm, it again would you, would you I think my concentration goes for about 25 minutes oh yeah <laughs> and outside of that I'm like oh. and um and the other thing is I think on the empathy topic I think that Karen would be amazing to to talk with so i'm going to link you up to All talk right. to her about empathy and addiction because that's her passion oh lovely and i'd love to thanks kath <laughs>